BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sports Grid Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. I am joined today by J.J. Zacharyson, the late-round quarterback. We are going to talk about his prospect guide, which you can purchase right now, lateround.com. I uh, encourage everyone to get after it and uh 2023 picks like this time last off season it was bro bro wait you you can't even believe wait for the 2023 class and which is funny because the 2022 class bunch of studs like a whole first round full of studs pretty much and uh it's not really looking like this class is going to have the same treasure yeah you know it's funny and I, I don't say this in hindsight um you know, because I know it's easy to in in, a, in an environment like this where, uh, you know, 2023s really just like got worse. But my prospect model itself, like really, really liked last year's wide receiver class, like to, to a pretty decent degree, like saw it on par with the couple that came right before it, where we had a lot of hits and had a lot of big players come out. Um, And it's just funny because, you know, I, I know that we had it seems like we just had such high hopes for a lot of these 2023 rookie wide receivers and they just sort of fell flat on their face this past year. Even like, you know, JSN who I love and who's a great prospect, but like even him, he had five catches, right? Like, like he, he could have really vaulted himself into being like this absolute stud. And now there, there's a lot of question marks for people. Um, you know, and then obviously like Jordan Addison goes from Pitt and having this Blitnikoff season, to not having that kind of season at USC. Uh Keishan Butte wasn't able to to do uh to to, to build off of Anything. yeah to, like like there's just so many guys who people had such high hopes for and they just completely crashed. I mean they just didn't do anything. Yeah. I mean probably I would say the big gainers from this class. I mean obviously Anthony Richardson being like uh playing at all, you know, like yeah. I mean this is a dude who's in like a timeshare at quarterback with uh Emory Jones who's like a future USFL quarterback. Yeah. That that's pretty interesting. Um Zay Flowers definitely a riser. Uh Zach Charbonnet, the transfer from Michigan to UCLA did him a lot of good. With the 2024 class, though, let me tell you about the 2024. That's that's what it's transitioning to. Yeah, Jalen Hyatt's another one who seems to be climbing a lot after you know just not doing much at all production wise his first couple of seasons in Tennessee. Well, so he's sort of let's uh, let's let's just start there. Let's just start with Jalen Hyatt. He's sort of interesting because he was um, a late breakout 
right? And COVID also makes some of this stuff sort of weird because more guys who maybe would have been early declares stayed an extra year. Now, Hyatt is is an early declare. He came in in 2020, um, only had 20 receptions his first year, 21 receptions his second year, 15 touchdowns on 67 receptions and 1,300 yards last year. But I, I to me, it's – and you and I differ on the combine stuff a little bit. I still care about it a lot. But obviously, like, so much of that ends up being double-counted because NFL teams right. care about it a lot, and it feeds into draft capital, which is more yeah. predictive. But kind of a hard sell to be a speed-only guy and then run a 4-4. Or maybe not. Maybe it'll end up being fine. I, I wanted to see him a little bit quicker than that, a little bit better at the drills, but he's still probably going to be a first-round pick, honestly, just because the wide receiver thirst is so intense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I don't fully disagree. I mean, the, the reason I don't really care about the athleticism stuff is just because I think it's captured in a lot of other metrics that are just better uh, draft capital being one of them. So it doesn't really get any signal um, within the stuff that I work with. Uh, it's obviously, you know, the, the thing that I say in my guide that I think is important. It's like, if you have two identical, identical prospects and one is an 85th percentile athlete and one's a 15th percentile athlete, then yes, you should want the 85th percentile athlete. Even, you know, even if there's like, like a slight difference between the two, you'd probably still want to go for that 85th percentile athlete. Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's going to be instances too, where, um, you know, if, if a player is that bad of an athlete, which let's be honest, I mean, Jalen Hyatt didn't like, I mean, it's still not like a, a horrific time. It wasn't like David Bell last year where it could have gone in really two very, very different directions. Uh, you know, he had such a poor combine and he had decent enough draft capital, but that was clearly reflected in that combine. Uh, but I still, you know, from like a, pure profile standpoint, a guy like bell could have gone and, and been, you know, a Devonte Adams like mold in that, that direction, or he could have just flopped and ended up flopping. But uh, to me, Jalen Hyatt looks a lot analytically looks a lot like a worse version of Jamison Williams, where first couple of seasons in the, in, in college did absolutely nothing. Um, I know there's a little bit more reason for Jamison, which is another reason why this is like a diet Jamison Williams situation. So there's more reason for, uh, you know, Jamison Williams not performing because he was behind studs and he was still playing at a really good program. Um, but then that last season, that, that third season before the the declare, uh, they really blew up. And the, you know, he's a vertical threat guy who can stretch the field. Um, you know, he's he's someone who uh has a good production profile overall. Uh, Hyatt in my model because I only take best season numbers and he had a great season last season. Uh, but when you match that with uh breakout age guys within the top two rounds of the NFL draft from a draft capital standpoint, generally see with a breakout age where he's at or worse, or, or even a little bit better than him. Uh, they basically, their, their upside gets cut in half. Essentially. It's the easiest way to think of it. So like the, the breakout age piece is important for Hyatt. I think th with this discussion with when, when you look at his profile analytically, I don't know if his ceiling, cause like his comps in my model right now, Jamison Williams, Calvin Ridley, but his top one is Nelson Aguilar, which I uh. think is, I think is a, a reasonable way to think about Jalen Hyatt is that, you know, he's not quite a Calvin Ridley. He's not quite a Jamison Williams. You know, maybe he could be Nelson Aguilar. That, that could be the direction that we go in. And look, when Nelson Aguilar came out, people were excited about Nelson Aguilar. I mean, and it's, he's, it's Nelson Aguilar has been a, uh, in the, it was fine. year nine of being like a starting yeah. NFL wide receiver, right. which is like, you know, it's not like a John Baldwin type right. or like he never gets on the field. Cause he, he does like, uh, you know, the bill James thing. Once you, once you demonstrate a skill, you own that forever, exactly. which is like Jalen Hyatt is going to be able to burn defensive backs down the field. Right. It's just a matter of if he can add the other stuff. I'm, I'm 
the guy I'm actually most bearish on relative to where people still have him even after the combine is Addison. Cause he, and I think he will get the draft capital because he's, I, he, he is a great route runner. He's real smooth and, and was super, I mean, he was super productive in at Pitt, super productive at USC. Um, but 173 pounds is really small. That's, that's really small. And it's, and he ran a four, four, nine. Now he did the, the, um, the contradicting thing is he did super well in the, the agility drills, the short shuttle and the three code, which we do really, I mean, we really, those are super important and, and have predictive value and NFL teams care about them, but he, that's small. Right. And it's like, yeah, Devonta Smith did it, but not everyone is Devonta Smith. Yeah, I mean, not only that, so Devontae Smith, I made the mistake of referencing on like a podcast a couple weeks ago because I was looking at player profiler because I couldn't remember Devontae Smith's, uh, like what he did, like wasn't, because I don't care about, uh, I don't care, I have the metrics somewhere in a database, but I don't have it in my prospect model. So I just decided, I was like, I'm not going to dig this up, I'm just going to look at player profiler. And they had Devontae Smith's 40 time, but Devontae Smith didn't run the 40, I think it was from taken from some other, th- like he didn't Pro even do day. Pro but day, I don't even I think, think he did it at his pro day either. So oh, okay. r- regardless though, regardless. You're, you're right. You're right. I, I, cause I remember actually being worried about this being like, it's a bad sign that this 170 right. pound dude doesn't want to run. Right. But the, the, I don't know what the reference point that they're using is for that. It might even be like something adjusted from high school or something like that. I have no idea, but I do think that when you watch these guys play uh, a guy like Devonte Smith, someone like, um, you know, one of, one of his comp, one of, one of Addison's comps for me is T Y Hilton. Uh, Jahan Dotson is another comp for me. Um, but a lot of these guys are arguably faster than Addison. I do think that there's some concern there like that. That was definitely a red flag. I mean, he still looks fine in my model because of the fact that the draft capital should still be there. If the combine does push back that draft capital, he's just naturally going to look a little bit worse right now. He's but, above but he, the 90- he might go to a really good team though. That's that's sort of the double-edged sword with the wide receivers who falls instead of being taken sure. by the bears at nine or whatever, you end up being selected by the bills at 27 and then your whole career changes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I, I, I would be shocked though. Like, I don't think that he's, I, I think that if you're looking at like high variance first round wide receivers, it's Quentin Johnston over an Addison or a JSN. I think Addison's super solid. I, I mean, I think Johnson has, a super in- interesting ceiling, but I think that there's a very reasonably scary floor for a player like that too. I mean, Johnston is the one that probably is the widest variance of like, depending on who you're talking to, what their opinion of him will be. Right. Like some people like, you know, honestly sort of in the, the beginning of what f- analytics for fantasy football looks like, he would have been sort of what we wanted, you know, big oh, yeah, dude, he would have been plays yeah. on the outside, you know, super fast, super big. And now the NFL, I mean, the it's it's because so much of what NFL offenses are doing. Like last year was a was a ten year low in average depth of target across the league. That type of guy is losing value. I mean, just think about the guys you're drafting. Like Amon Ross St. Brown, we love Mike Williams, we like a lot less because there's a lot more high variance there. So I'll I'll say this about Johnson, uh, his profile when you only look at first round wide receivers over the last decade or so, his profile really comps well to busts, right? Like like I have this in my in my in my uh, uh, profile page for him in, in the prospect guide, but uh, so three other wide receivers since 2011 have been selected in the first round of the draft with a sub 2.5 best season yards per team pass attempt rate and a receptions per game rate below four and a half. Those three wide receivers, so this is since 2011, so guys who had, and by the way, those are similar numbers of what uh, Quentin Johnson had. They're a little bit better. But 
it's Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson, and Henry Ruggs. Those are the three Oof. wide receivers who fit that mold. And then uh, there are only six wide receivers who have gotten drafted in the first round since 2011 that had a negative stat score, which is just the the combination of the production metrics that I use in my model. Those six wide receivers are, again, Kelvin Benjamin, Cordero Patterson, Henry Ruggs. One of them is Jalen Waddle, but that only has to do with the fact that he couldn't stay healthy. And the other two are Kadarius Tony and Philip Dorsett. And Quentin Johnson has a negative stat score in the model. But if you look at some second round wide receivers, you can start to see the upside in some comps. I mean, you can see like the T Higgins is my main comp for him. Uh, my, my higher end comp, like he, he, he does profile really well to that, but he also, that like, feels no, right. Right. Like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, La- I mean, like, like but, Laquan but, Treadwell is like the, Oh shit. I can't believe we drafted this guy in the first round. Right, right. So I think I think that T. Higgins is like the optimistic way to view Johnston, but I think the more pessimistic view is like a Brashad Perriman or a Alec Pierce, if you will. I mean, Alec Pierce was insanely athletic coming out last year. Um, so I I do think there's just a wide range of outcomes here. I would rather play it safer with a guy like JSN or Jordan Addison. Uh, but I understand the allure to some degree with Johnson. I don't I think Addison versus Johnson is going to be very hard for me when I'm on the clock in a lot of these drafts. Cause I assume that uh, in Superflex, which I think pretty much all of my leagues are at this point, I don't know if I'm in any non-Superflex dynasty leagues. I, my, I probably will just take Addison. It feels like a little bit of a betrayal for like everything I stand for. Yeah. Cause I love these big fast dudes, but I, I just sort of get the sense that like Addison is not, there's like no failure in his range. Like, I think like worst case, he kind of becomes like, um, I mean, you know, a, I, I, a Hunter Renfro style guy is going to get catch 70 passes I mean, I, a year. I think Addison is like a better version of, uh, or, or maybe like a, a reasonable floor. I'm not saying like a zero per, percentile outcome for him, but maybe like a 25th percentile to 40th percentile outcome is like a Jahan Dotson from last year, which you're, you're not going to be like that, that upset if you have Jahan Dotson on your dynasty roster. And there's still some upside there with Addison. Yeah. I think that, I think that's probably right. So Anthony Richardson is your fourth overall ranked pick right now before the draft in um uh in in your top 48 rankings in in the draft guide superflex yeah yeah, obviously so how much of that is based off of the idea of one probably not going to play very much as a rookie and two how much of that would change if carolina traded up traded all that shit to get him at one I think that, so the reason I put him as the QB three was because it's pre-draft. I mean, it's the same reason I got a question from my mailbag this week and someone's like, well, why, why do you have so many wide receivers ranked ahead of running backs? If this is a better running back class. And the reason is I, I there, there's a lot of good running backs. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of these running backs that some of them are going to be day three picks. Some of them are going to be day two picks and pre-draft you're better off just going after first round wide receivers. If that's how you're drafting right now. So it's going to change post-draft based on where these guys land and, and how the fit is. But um, you know, I feel similarly to a guy like Richardson who, you know, I, I've gotten to the point with, if I'm being honest, I've gotten to the point with quarterback evaluation where I don't really care what people say about these guys uh, pre-draft, whether you're talking Josh Allen. I know this is, th- this doesn't seem very analytical, but whether you're talking about Josh Allen, Daniel Jones, even Justin Herbert, people didn't like Justin Herbert coming out. I, I mean, didn't like, like Justin Herbert. I right, thought Justin right. Herbert was going to suck. And, and there comes a point in time where, you know, it's this combo of uh, obviously these teams are looking at traits, particular traits, but you have to also recognize what the game of fantasy football is and what wins. And 
absolutely Anthony Richardson based on his production profile and the lack of accuracy and all that stuff and, and the way he actually throws the football. Uh, all of that looks hor- horrific. Um, but you also have to recognize that we don't always care about that from a fantasy perspective. It's not unlike how we viewed Justin Fields last season in fantasy, where he was an, a pretty obvious later round pick. I mean, I have receipts. This is not me just, again, saying in hindsight, pretty obvious later round pick given the mobility aspect. He was not a good passer last year. I mean, Jalen Hurts two years ago wasn't a great passer. Um, and you hope that there's improvement from a dynasty perspective. But I mean, as long as Anthony Richardson, like if he gets three years as a starter uh, or two years as a starter, even he's going to dominate in fantasy football during he's those gonna, two He's going to crush. Yeah. And, and, and the other aspect to that is there's still a ceiling to that where he's the only guy in this class who's probably going to be able to match from a fantasy perspective in a high range of outcome, he's the only guy in this class is probably going to be able to match the elite guys in fantasy. Again, I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes, he's Josh Allen or anything, but I'm saying the way he accumulates points is going to allow him to be able to match those guys. And so if you want to play it safe, of course, go for CJ Stroud, go for Bryce Young. You're probably like, you have a a much better outcome in terms of them starting for 10 plus years in the league. I'm, I'm not going to deny that, but the upside is absolutely with Richardson because this is the way that the the game of fantasy football is played. Yeah. I mean, you're probably getting like a Derek Carr type median when you take Stroud or young, like they're just going to be around Stroud. I mean, it's sort of interesting. Like Stroud didn't run at all until the very end, his last two games, he ran a little bit and said, I think he's capable. I mean, he said at the, you know, they're doing their interviews at the scouting combine. He's like, you know, I wish I ran more, whatever. So maybe, maybe the market will be a little bit too low on that from Stroud at the beginning. Although I think the fact that him and Fields went to the same school and Fields didn't run very much at Ohio State either. I actually think the market will kind of pick up on that and just actually give him more credit for rushing than he's done. I mean, I'm pretty worried about Bryce Young being uh, having six weeks to bulk and getting to 189 pounds at the combine, which probably means he played at 180, 185, something like that, which is, I mean, you know, very concerning, like extremely concerning for, uh, you know, for for a quarterback. Like that's, that is, to give people an idea, that is like 30 pounds lighter than what Kyler has played at, who is the other kind of tiny quarterback well, he, that people he weighed think in, about. He still weighed in at over, he was over 200 at the on, at the combine, Bryce Young was. but Yeah, he, he was what, 203 or whatever right, is what he right. actually but he, was. But it was clearly, he just drank a ton of milk or something before before that all went down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, it's not a, a real thing. I mean, my take would be, and I guess this is maybe more of a class where I think the order prospects are going to go in will be a little bit less defined. I think it'll be more based on like what your team actually needs. Like I could see if I have a good team, I happen to get the 105 because I did some trade and uh, you know, it's not a best ball league. You're, you're having to set your lineup every single week. I could see taking Jameer Gibbs over JSN over Johnson over Addison, you know, just because if I, I needed a running back or whatever, like I, I could see, I don't, I, get the sense that JSN and add like these guys could be good. I don't think I'm passing over the next Jamar chase. If I don't take JSN though. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I right now have JSN in a tier above Gibbs. And the main reason I think there's, and we can go on about this for a while too. Cause I have, I, 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 I don't think it's talked about enough because this class in particular, 
this running back class, there's a lot of guys who have ideal size that are going later. Like Kendra Miller, I think has ideal size and, and, you know, you're going to be able to get him in the second round. Uh, a Banacanda from Pitt, Izzy. Uh, I think he's, I, I like him unbelievably undervalued. Um, so you have these like bigger bodied guys who are going in the second round who that's the, the stereotype, the, the prototypical size back that does well in fantasy football. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people that's like, Oh, Gibbs weighed in under 200 pounds. So therefore he doesn't hit some threshold. That's, that's not at all how I think about this stuff. But if you look historically at what we've seen over the last 10 plus years uh, out of running backs coming out guys who are under not just 200 pounds, but even 210 pounds, they do not perform nearly as well in fantasy football as guys who are above that mark. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving that buffer because obviously Jameer Gibbs is significantly below 210 pounds. I mean, he's playing at, I mean, he was, was under 200 at the combine. Let's say he plays at low two hundreds. That's not something that we should completely ignore. Um, you know, and that that's part of my model. I mean, weight itself is a, a piece of, of the model that gets signaled for me. Um, and that's why, you know, if you were to not have that in there, he'd be like a 96th percentile prospect, which anything over the 95th percentile usually has pretty good outcomes but because of the weight aspect and what he came in in, and it's not threshold based, it's just based on the, the pure weight. Uh, he's at the, like, like, like the 93rd. Um, I, you know, and, and you look at comps very, very hard to find reasonable comps for him based on history. I mean, like the best one is probably Gio Bernard. I mean, it's, it's like Bernard, Isaiah Pede, like these guys who Ugh. just didn't really come through in the second round. And, you know, the other thing that I was looking at actually earlier today I started messing around with um, basically my model looks at a player's best two seasons uh, in points per game across his first three years in the league. And it averages those numbers out. I call it a B2S score, best two season score. And I looked at based on draft capital, every player has some sort of expected B2S based on where they're drafted. Right. And I was looking at who has outperformed and underperformed based on that expected value. So it's basically an expected output based on draft capital. And if you look at top 100 picks at running back, the only guy who has far exceeded that expectation has been Christian McCaffrey. That's it. Like over the last decade plus that's, sure. that's been a, a smaller back. I mean, you have some that were like, okay, but they were not I mean, like Devin Singletary has been okay, but none of these guys have been have these crushed. truly, truly elite running backs. And that's my, that's how I sort of view Gibbs is that like, he's a very solid player. Like he is, going to be good in PPR. I just don't know if he's going to be a consistent RB one in fantasy football. I think that he can be a very strong high end RB two, maybe mid range RB two, and he's going to be involved in the passing game wherever he goes. But I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if the fantasy community is putting enough stock into the weight thing from that perspective. I'm not saying from a threshold perspective, I'm just saying from a ceiling perspective. Uh, and then obviously the one guy, Devon, a chain, I think is just massively overvalued because of that. Like, like he, He's someone who I, I love as a player, awesome, awesome player. But from a fantasy perspective, this kind of profile does not work out. It's it's just very, very hard to back that as like the RB4 in this class. What does Tony Pollard weigh? Because that's sort so sort of what I'm thinking. He's bigger is like, than you think. What what happened last year with Pollard, though, is is actually like a, a well, it's actually a warning sign, though, because what I forget the name of the Cowboys running back coach who they ended up firing when Kellen Moore left. But basically he was like, yeah, we don't think Pollard can handle this work. We don't think Pollard can get 25 carries a game, which is why they were playing Malik Davis when Zeke missed those two games or whatever. Right. Um, like it's a it's a self-selecting thing, I think, not only not 
maybe because Devin, uh, Devin Achain or Jameer Gibbs can't do it, but the coaches don't think they can do yeah. it and don't really want to give them 25 touches. I wrote, I wrote about that in my prospect guide. It has nothing to do with how I view these guys. It has everything to do with how NFL teams deploy their running backs. That That's it. I mean, to be fair, though, I do think that there are narratives about players like a Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard still was 210 at, at the combine and, and, and where he weighed in. And 210 is a very solid number for a running back. I mean, I, I still look at BMI as well, and he's you know six feet tall, so like it changes things a little bit. And fortunately, Jameer Gibbs came in shorter than we expected too so he's a little bit more compact which is good but at the same time like weight gets signal like we we can't just ignore weight because this guy's really really good i mean there's we're, we're not we're not picking these guys to be good in the nfl we're picking these guys to be good in fantasy football and there is at running back a distinct difference between those things we saw it with Tony huge Pollard. huge difference brian yeah. robinson last year maybe not that good of a real football player but he just convinced ron rivera right. to just give him the ball a bunch yeah, I, I mean, it, but even like Tony Pollard's a great example because for years he was clearly a very effective running back who wasn't right. seeing work. And like, we just have to, like at some point you have to like like build into that and and and, and move into and lean into that uh, because it's a very, very real thing. So uh, I, I think there is concerns. I mean, I, I can understand if you want to brush off the Gibbs concerns to some degree because it's not like he's like super, super small, but Devon Achain is tiny like he is not i mean it's not deuce vaughn tiny but yeah, like, i was gonna say he's not as tiny yeah. as my favorite running back in the yeah, class i mean deuce vaughn's vaughn. awesome but but that's the thing too man is that like when you look at a player like a chain and you look at a player like vaughn right of course vaughn is smaller we've never seen anything like that but but if you compare vaughn to his adp and where he's going to be drafted at in rookie drafts and in any redraft league versus a chain there's a massive difference like like right. Keyshawn vaughn or like or, or deuce Keyshawn vaughn deuce vaughn is going to is going to be a third round, maybe even fourth round in Superflex drafts rookie pick. Whereas Devon A-Chain is like a borderline. Yeah, he's going to be like the 12 or 13th overall yeah, pick. Right. And like, there's a big, big difference there when Vaughn had a better production profile. And if you look at history and how these guys at this size have performed, you could argue that players that are Vaughn size have done better than players that are A-Chain size only because we've seen uh Tariq Cohen and Jaquiz Rogers at least like be work done something. work done was listed yeah. at 180 yeah yeah I mean like it but that's the thing is it, it it takes a lot of looking back in history to get decent comps for these guys and that's scary it's just it makes them way way more volatile than what the market is saying and I'm for for a guy that size I'd rather just wait right and not have to spend I, I don't mind getting them like I, I'm gonna probably draft a lot of Deuce Vaughn this year but I don't need to spend up to get him, which is the reason why I'd be doing that. So there's this other interesting wrinkle too, which is that um, a lot of people really like Charbonnet. A lot of people, but but that's sort of the that's sort of the tear break. Charbonnet yeah. to me is sort of Tyler Algier esque. Like I think you probably get like some good running back two seasons out of him, but I don't. I don't. It just. The, you know, the, the, the Korean thing, like legendary upside. Like, I just don't know if we ever get an 18 carry five catch per game season out of him, which is not to say he's not a, a good pick at the two one or whatever, but yeah. I, th that's the type of guy I generally skip. Like, I think I'd rather take any of the tight ends who are going to get good draft capital over him, like Meyer, Kincaid, whoever, because hitting on those guys is so valuable. Yeah. I mean, my, my thing with the tight end stuff is only the, is mostly that the market is bad 
at tight end evaluation and I would rather just lean into the position that matters a little bit more. I mean, I can understand going that route if they're going to get great draft capital, but if Charbonnet gets second round draft capital, let's say like if he's a, if he's a mid second round pick, like let's say that he closes the gap between himself and Jameer Gibbs by like 15 picks or something like that. Like let's say that Gibbs is an early second rounder and Charbonnet is a mid second rounder. I could easily make the argument that Charbonnet is a better pick than Gibbs because of the size, because of what we've seen historic. Here's another, another nugget about Charbonnet from my, um my prospect guide. So let's say that he goes in round two, he's listed above 210. He was 214 at the comment, which was actually a little bit lighter than what people thought that he would be. He thought, thought that he might be closer to 220, but since 2011 of the players that are 210 plus with a best season reception share above 12%, when you get this combination of 210 plus players with good receiving numbers, it's usually a very good combination to, to strive for and to go after, but second round running backs with two that are 210 plus pounds, a 12% or better reception share, best season reception share since 2011, Le'Veon Bell, Joe Mixon, Daniel Thomas, and DeAndre Swift. Those are the four. And so Le'Veon, Le'Veon Bell is the, if I'm to, if I'm a Charbonnet guy, it's saying that cause Le'Veon was, was not super fast at the combine was bigger, yeah. not great as a rookie, but lost a little bit of weight, became a great pass blocker and did really well at the short shuttle and the three cone stuff. And obviously like was the best running back in fantasy for like three years. Well, here, here are the guys who went in the third round with that same criteria. You get to Kareem Hunt, Alvin Kamara, David Johnson, Charles Sims, DeMarco Murray, Zach Moss, Keyshawn Vaughn, Antonio Gibson, and Rashad White. I mean, that like for third round picks, that's an unbelievable hit rate just with that criteria. So I think there's a lot going for him favorably analytically. Um, I, I think he's the pretty clear RB3 in this class. I'm actually in the camp, though, that I, I think that he has a chance to close that gap with Gibbs and, with and Gibbs. legitimately pass him if the if the draft capital and landing spot situation works out for him the 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 three comps in my model for charbonnet it's kind of hard to find decent comps for like 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 good matches for him but we're right. sony michelle kareem hunt and tevin coleman those were the three for for charbonnet i mean sony michelle could have been really good probably if he didn't yeah, end up uh, tearing tearing his knees up so that seems that seems reasonable. Um, I I moved uh, Kayshawn Booty all the way down. I just I'm not taking this dude at all. This this is such a nightmare of a prospect profile for me. It's sort of like the the inverse of George Pickens. So Pickens was number one overall high school recruit, got injured, whatever, but did really well at the combine and um, like came back faster than expected from his injury. Like I was big on Pickens last year, and I was hoping. Booty would do the same thing. And he did like the opposite, like bad at yeah. the combine tanked all the interviews. There's like weird. If you, if you Google some, if you Google some stuff about him, there's some, there's some off very bizarre yeah. off the field stuff going on there. So I just like, I I'm, I'm out, I'm out on him. Someone else can take him. Yeah. I mean, it's tough, man, because guys with his breakout age um, are incredibly, incredibly good. Yeah, like the only failure, uh, I'm looking at my 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 guide again, but uh, the, we, we've seen just 14 wide receivers who've been selected in the top 100 who had a breakout age of 18 and a half or better. Um, and 10 of those players were early declares like, like Keishon Butte. And of those 10, only Paul Richardson failed to give us a double digit PPR point per game season across his first three years in the league. So like the majority of them, and one of those players, uh, 40% of them hit 15 plus PPR points per game and Drake London's part of that group. He just hasn't gotten there yet. 
and he probably will. So like strictly breakout age, like only breakout age. He is a fantastic prospect for analytically, but yeah, I mean, like I, I, I just don't know where he's going to get drafted. If you look at like NFL mock draft database, which is where I get a lot of my projected draft capital from, he's been slipping uh, in, in those drafts. He's, he's gone down like 20 or 30 spots since the beginning of the, the off season. Um, you know, his, I, I will say this too. And I, I do think this is kind of interesting. The top comp in my model for him, I hate to say it out loud. I mean, it's it's out there obviously though, but it was Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think the difference though, is that St. Brown is, is still more agile and, and more athletic than what Butte tested as. But ARSB also in a situation where you have this like wide receiver, you type environment. Right. Um, and he didn't have amazing production, but he had a really good breakout age amongst that environment. And so I think that there is at least like that, like glimmer of hope, but his production profile sucks. Uh, Butes does. And, 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 you know, the other guys are Antonio Callaway and Kenny stills was one as well, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I think what I'm going to do with him is literally just, just base it off of the fantasy football market. Right. Instead of, you know, let, let's say he gets day two capital. If that happens, then great. We can feel whatever about him. But if the fantasy football market is, is turned off as you are right. And everyone is dropping him. I'm still going to throw that dart just because there is, it. there are at least traits that suggests that he could be good. And and also another thing we've learned, which is great, you would think that this shit would like not matter at all, but teams actually like Stefan Diggs is a great example. Like he got drafted basically because he was a five-star high school recruit, you know, yeah. like that that stuff tends to hang around. Um and and I I also think it probably matters that every guy he played with at LSU is an NFL player like every every dude's like I think that probably yeah I think that I think that it like for example if I have like the the 210 or whatever and it's like Hendon Hooker who's never gonna start an NFL game and Kayshawn Booty yeah sure like whatever I that I think that's a good dart throw um okay so the the tight ends right this is like famously very hard to do for uh for analytically minded people because you can just get a comp for anybody at tight end because the product like the hits are so few a lot of these guys get drafted with no production in fact you could even argue that some of the really productive college tight ends uh austin Saberin jenkins uh jason morrow these guys have actually ended up being the biggest bust because they produced in just like a really barren environment but this is supposed to be a very good tight end class. Really, that's the that's the meme right now is that this is one of the best tight end classes in a decade. So, what are you making of? Uh, I mean, specifically Meyer and and Kincaid. Yeah, I mean, I, you nailed it. I, I tried to build a, a tight end model this off season to, <laughs> and it was probably just like LOL. It's impossible. It's it's seriously. But there's a, there's a combination of why it's impossible. It's not only does the production stuff not match the way that it does at wide receiver. Um, but then on top of that, you know, and then athleticism matters a lot more at tight end than it does at wide receiver. But on top of that, there's just not many tight ends that you can really relate back to when you're modeling. Right. So when you're, when you're building a model, you're trying to figure out what you like, you're trying to measure something, you're trying to measure success in some way. And you're essentially doing that by looking at other profiles historically who have found success. And it's, it's, it's really difficult at tight end because there, as we know, in fantasy football, every single year, it's just the same dudes up top. And then there's just a cluster. And if, are, are you really trying to like match that cluster? I'd argue no. Uh, but then it's really then hard to say, 
this guy is Mark Andrews. This guy is Travis Kelsey. It's just impossible to do something like that. And so it's the game of fantasy football that makes it really tough too. Um, but you know, to, to what I was talking about earlier, you know, I don't have many strong takes about tight ends in general. Uh, I look at what the market is saying, what they're doing. I look at uh, athleticism measurables. Um, and then I look at uh, draft capital and, and the, the interesting thing uh, with this class, if you look at the top, like six guys who are projected to go, you know, in, in that order, um, you know, you have, you have Meyer, you have Kincaid, you have Musgrave, Darnell Washington, uh, Sam Laporta and, and Tucker Kraft. If you look at those guys, every single one of them had a great height adjusted speed score, every single one of them. And so I'm inclined to say, like, let's look at where the tiers break within the rookie draft ADP and let's attack those guys where these where these tiers break uh, because I think a lot of them could end up being hits. And since we know that there's just a wide range of outcomes at tight end in general in terms of how predictive they are, uh, I'd rather like go after some of the cheaper guys and just see if I can I can land one on one of them because all like all those guys at least look good on paper. Darnell Washington doesn't have the production profile that some he's of the other guys a, do. He's just a beast. He's, he's just, just a. It's it's like Jelani Woods last year. It's like let's just go for it, man. Sure. The, so okay, so I I've said this before, and people mock me. I don't know your your perspective on this might be interesting. I, the thing I'm worried about with Washington is that a team drafts him and is like, great, we have Chris Manhurts, we have the greatest sixth offensive tackle <laughs> in in the whole sport, and yeah, he catches 20 passes a year or whatever. But my my concern is that whatever team drafts him is basically like they don't even view him as as a move tight end at all. It's just like, yeah, great, he's he's. I mean, that's what he did at Georgia, right? He played with Brock Bowers, who like, we're, they'll be crazy. Com- wait till next year's class. Just wait until next year's <laughs> class with Brock Bowers. So, he, you know, they run two tight ends up and Washington is like hardly getting any targets because he just is destroying people in the yeah. run game. That's why, like, I, I, to me personally, I think like Kincaid is really, really interesting just because of his journey through it all and like the comps that people have thrown out there. Like, he doesn't have the most experience in the world, but it's like, look at what he's already done and what's going to happen as he continues to grow with the position. Because it's a, it's a really difficult position to to know and learn. I mean, it's it's the one position on the football field that literally has to do basically everything, right? And that's why we don't see it's so it's so production. hard. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, a super super tough position. And so, you know, I am, I am intrigued by that, but again, you know, it's just one of those positions where we kind of got to throw darts. We, uh, you know, this is analytically speaking, of course, kind of got to, th- got to throw darts and historically the market has not been very good at predicting which ones are going to be good. No, no. I, even NFL teams themselves are, yeah, are, exactly. are not even that good. Right. Uh, uh Charlie Kalar goes ahead of Isaiah likely last year. I mean, famously Mark Hayden Hurst was a first round pick and Mark Andrews was a third round pick. That's part of the problem though, too, is that like, again, when you're modeling against these guys, there's such a cluster that draft capital does get an an insane amount of signal, right? Because there's this cluster of guys and like the guys who are going early, of course, are doing better than the guys who are going late. But if you're looking for like a true ceiling, like a, like think about all of the the best tight ends in dynasty over the last 15 years, a lot of them were not first round picks. I mean, you have Kelsey. Were were it, were any of them? So Kelsey, I I don't know. I mean, Andrews Kelsey wasn't, was, Kelsey, Kelsey wasn't, was Kittle third. wasn't, I mean, Kittle was yeah, a it, fifth, Gronk was a third. Right. Um, yeah. And but then thinking this, about some of the guys who were first round picks, some of the biggest busts, right? I mean, Hawkinson until like four games last year, no right, fan, have, huge bust. 
Yeah, but you have like for, let's just say first two rounds, right? Like you can you can still find guys who are like Pat Fryermuth, right? Solid as a rock, kind of tight end asset for your dynasty team. Uh, Dallas Goddard, uh, Hawkinson, you know, a first round pick as you noted. Uh, Mike Kosicki's been okay enough. I mean, not really someone that you, uh, David Njoku's been fine. Gerald Everett has had had decent enough seasons. Like you're just getting a lot of that, right? And so like the the you you there is correlation as a result because the the amount of players who are drafted in those rounds uh, are doing better than who the guys who are being drafted later. But the guys who are being drafted later are also the ones who are becoming the truly elite guys in the game. And there's just so few of them that it's hard to model against that, right? I think um, I think you actually just hit on it there, is that like at any given time, there's like four tight ends in fantasy you really want to own. Right. And how the roads to them getting there are so bizarre so much of the time. Like yeah. how many people gave up on Travis Kelsey in Dynasty after he didn't play as a rookie, after he right. had microfracture right. surgery no, he's the best, best fantasy asset. Like him and Gronk have been the best fantasy assets in tight end ever. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I mean, look, I've been in this camp of like, I, like when Fanton and Hawkinson came in the league, I was like, these guys are unbelievable. Like Hawkinson right. is, is unreal. Noah Fant was like the heir to Jimmy Graham's throne and yeah. Hawkinson, I guess has been fine, you know, but, but he's not really recouped what you paid for him a lot of the time. Right. And, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say that this is the direction that's going to go, but look at how things have gone for Kyle Pitts so far. Oh my God. I'm at the, 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 the Kyle Pitts drafters in startups for the last two years. They're like, I was, I was actually in a startup last year, a tight end premium one where he went second over it. Mahomes went first and super flex yeah, and Pitts went yeah. second. Oh my God. Yeah. Can't, can't get into that. But yeah, I mean like, it, like I, I draft capital matters across the larger sample, but I don't think draft capital matters nearly as much when you're talking about becoming elite. No, no, it really, it really doesn't. Which is to say, I think a, a good strategy for these leagues is to just like a lot of time with your third and fourth round picks. Reeves talks a lot about just like taking whatever running backs get drafted in those rounds because you you tend to get a lot of year one production from those guys. You'll just luck into it. Damian yeah. Pierce and Isaiah Pacheco are a really great sure. example of that. Like these guys, these dudes just ended up being starting running backs like right away in the league. But I, I think the long-term payoff on tight end is, is maybe even better. Yeah, it might be. I mean, I haven't, I haven't studied the market dynamics of tight end enough just because it clearly is not as important as running back and wide receiver. But um, I, I, I will say this too. I think that the, the, one of the, one of the most common things that you'll just generally read is like, well, tight ends get off to a slow start. So you can just trade for them after year one guys. No Never. one's just going to like get rid of these tight ends that they draft. Try and, try like and trade for David and Joku right now and see yeah, what happens. Yeah. Like it's not, it, it doesn't work that cleanly. I mean, maybe in some leagues it will, but it does not work. I mean, if, if someone's going to spend second round rookie draft pick on a tight end, they're not just going to give up on them after one year. Or even, even like Komet, who's basically been useless. Komet had like two good games last year. Right. Komet right now, if you offered the 106 for him and tight end premium, I don't know if you, that person would accept. No, no, no. Well, I mean, I think that you're saying that they would keep commit. So person, person has commit and you offer them the one Oh six in this draft. I, I think they're thinking about it. I don't think they're smashing except for Cole commit and tight end premium. I think they'd take the one. What's the, what's the line? The one Oh nine. No, I think it's more, I think you're still like in the second with it because you're, okay. you're still getting, because I, I would, I would assume that the majority of the tight ends in this class, like the good ones, like three or four of them are going to be ranked ahead of them after ranked the ahead. Yeah. 
That's the lie. I mean, I would be buying. I would be buying Comet if that's true. If well, I could get like if after I the could... show after yeah. the show, you got to put in some offers for Comet. It sounds like. Well, unfortunately, we have a truther. So, well, no. The thing was, was I mean, this is so far removed from what we're talking about. But Comet was like a, a third round rookie pick in in a lot of the because that that remember he went in the third round and it was right. like the worst tight end class ever. So right. he was. So I actually have him on a bunch of teams already. And trust me, it's. It's not really been that fun of an experience. So you're just really trying to drive up his price right now. Is what you're no, no, I wouldn't trade him away. I'm, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm bullish on, I'm bullish on him because he literally never subs off the field. Like he, like he plays like night, like it's, it's like absurd how much he plays. And I don't, yeah, it would be great if he played change. It would be great if he played in a non 1975 offense. <laughs> Are, well, okay. Let's, let's, let's talk about the bears. This is my, this has been my thing. Obviously I think it's, it's a downgrade or neutral for DJ Moore because the bears throw the ball so less yeah. often, but I do think you now have to give some credence to the idea that fields is at least entering into a stage where it's actually possible for him to take the next step as a, as a passer going from Equinemius St. Brown and, yeah. and Dante Pettis and these guys to like, a, a they at least have the personnel to run a real NFL offense if they wanted to. Yeah. But the, the problem is that the, the way people talk about it is you're either it's either Justin Fields is trash or this is the new Philadelphia Eagles or he's Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and it's really frustrating because I, I don't think people realize I'm, I'm I talk about this in my mailbag that drops uh, on Friday, but um you know the the um, the big thing with the Eagles year over year the Eagles didn't get that much more pass heavy. They 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 threw the ball like I think like forty a little over forty more times across the entire season. They had two 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 and a half more pass attempts per game. There's in way order, more efficient. Yeah, in, in order exactly, they became way way more efficient. And I think that we're going to see higher efficiency from Fields, obviously. But in order for Chicago to get to where Philadelphia was last year on a pass attempt stand from a pass attempt standpoint, Philadelphia still had a run heavy team because they were leading and all that kind of stuff. But if you were to look at history since 2011 there's only been three teams that have increased their pass attempts per game by 10 or more. And none of them increased by 11 or more. That's basically what the bears would need to do to get, to just get to Philadelphia's passing volume last season, which was not even that high. And then on top of that, you're asking Justin Fields with a worse supporting cast than what uh, Jalen hurts had last year. You know, when you're talking offensive line, the weapons, all of that, you're then asking Justin Fields to be, just as good as Jalen Hurts through the air. That just doesn't seem reasonable. And I know that he can get by, I'm, you know, he can get by and rushing and all that kind of stuff. I'm also speaking about like the pass catchers here. Like, I just, I, I just don't see how, you know, this is like DJ Moore from a projection standpoint, his ceiling, like a reasonable projected ceiling from a target standpoint is like 125 for, for DJ Moore next year. And like, like then you're talking about the secondary pieces there and the secondary pieces, like, now the thing about Komet that's a little bit scary is now you're going to have a better threat in the slot uh, because they could either move Claypool or Mooney into the slot. You know, Claypool played a lot of slot in Pittsburgh um, and he's not a very good perimeter wide receiver. Uh, and so there's going to be a better, th- a bigger threat for Komet in the slot too. I just think it's going to be a mess for fantasy outside of fields because fields is going to get by on his rushing. Well, yeah. And I mean, so right, I guess we're we're speaking on Thursday, March sixteenth at two fifty one Central Time, and right now Khalil Herbert is there starting running back. I mean, the everyone knows what's hanging out there though. 
Ezekiel Elliott one year up to $8.5 million. You think, you think it's coming? It just, to me, it just feels like a classic Bears, like two steps forward, eight steps back type move. Like we did this really smart trade. We got the first pick. We're going to try and rehab Claypool. We got a veteran to spend some money on a DJ Moore. You know what let's do? Let's bring in Ezekiel Elliott. My thing, my thing with that and the reason, if you want to, if you want to look at it from the opposite perspective, because I don't, I don't disagree that that could happen. But if you want to look at it from the opposite perspective to give you some optimism about Khalil Herbert, they had they they signed Travis Homer, right? They they gave him a deal because he's a good special teams guy, all that kind of stuff. And then they have Treston Ebner, right? And if 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 they do go after a veteran running back, that means they're either going to hold four on a game day, which doesn't happen very often, or uh, they're not going to want Ebner around, which I don't know if that's going to happen. So there's a chance, knowing that they're not in this mode right now where they're going to dominate the NFL and they need that running back as like the cherry on top. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's still a chance that Khalil Herbert is the early down back and they use Ebner as and and, and Homer sort of in this like third down rule. Um, that's the optimistic side. I could easily see what you're saying happening too. I can't, I mean, it just feels, it just feels like that's, gonna happen. i mean i hope it doesn't i actually thought the the funniest thing would be the buccaneers signing ezekiel elliott to go with whatever this zombie mishmash of a team they have is and yeah, i don't know just... what they're doing right now <laughs> well it, it'll make it'll make a lot more sense once chris godwin gets traded to a good team for a second round pick that'll that'll change the whole dynamics of it i hope it happens man or maybe baker you know baker wins a, a shitty division because i don't know teams in that division are very good yeah I mean, look, there's still a lot of veteran backs. I, my, my general, and I've been talking about this on my discord a lot over the last week, but like my general vibe is that if you're seeing a situation where a veteran running back is now being looked at favorably by the market who just signed with a new team, sell them like Miles Sanders. I'm selling them. If I have them, you know, if, if you have uh David Montgomery, you can, I mean, can maybe make the argument too, but like, like the, just generally speaking blanket statement. I would be selling veteran running backs who are going to these teams because a lot of those teams still lack running back depth, which means they're going to add someone in the draft. Add and there's enough somebody. big bodies in this draft that can just ruin some of those players. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, I mean, and, and there are, I mean, there are pass catching guys in the draft too. So if, if you, yeah. if you, if it is like, uh, yeah, your big, your, your veteran running back got signed to be the ground and pound dude and you're wish casting uh, a three down roll like all of a sudden Chris Evans or something is, is coming in and you know, it's all over. Yeah. Who do you, who do you want to take? We we're uh, like an hour into a podcast about rookies and we haven't mentioned the, the top rookie. Who do you, who do you want to take Bijan? Um, I don't know if I had, I, I don't know if I care that much because I, 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 because part of me wants him to go to a bad team and get people to like, not view him as this like Zeus, like, player within the fantasy football landscape because he's such a good prospect and i would almost rather it be a situation where the landing spot is iffy and people just overstate that and then he just dominates because he's going to dominate wherever he goes i mean i, I don't know do you I, like like i i don't know where it's going to be at this point just given what teams have already been doing um and but it's another example of what i was just talking about where uh these teams um you know they they're they're adding players, but it's very there's such there's such depth such depth at running back in this draft that these running backs can come in and just torpedo those guys. I think like ideally, like I think Miami is a great spot for any running back. Uh, yeah. They did just they did just sign their two veterans back, but 
you know, yeah, like, that does, if, it's, 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 it, it's Jeff Wilson and Raheem Mostert. Like, right. Um, if yeah, they get, yeah. if, if, if you're getting like a, even if you're getting like a Charbonnet or something that I don't, I don't think they go that route because Mike McDaniel is, is from the Shanahan tree and maybe they spend like a third rounder on some guy that we, we didn't like entering the draft. And all of a sudden we like him at exiting the draft, but uh, I, I don't think they go that route, but I do think that's probably one of the more attractive spots to go. Obviously Philadelphia is a decent spot. Um, but I do worry about the, the pass catching potential there. Uh, you know, like there's definitely a correlation between mobile quarterbacks and not checking down as much. Uh, and that's, that's somewhat of an issue. Um, uh, but those are the two teams that seemingly would have the biggest voids. What about the Los Angeles chargers who just decided they didn't want to pay Austin Eckler? Yeah. I mean, like if he goes to the chargers and this game over, like he, that, but th- that's a scenario again, where like, I, I don't want that to happen almost because I, I, I don't want the market to even increase those the, the price, the price for, for them even more. Yeah. The so I would say the Chargers are one supercharged scenario. Um I I think you could argue if Arizona does a trade back, if some team decides they really want Anthony Richardson or Levis or whoever and they get to like 15, it I mean it doesn't make any sense for them. Uh, yeah. I mean, but it does kind of make sense to them. Like, okay, we got Kyler. Let's yeah. l- let's get Bijan in here. That, that the, those are the two that I thought I think would be good spots. The other team that I should have mentioned is Cincinnati. I think I, I think Cincinnati if Cincinnati can... does it, they are such dipshits. You're trying to be Patrick Mahomes. Like, do not do. It. I mean, do it because it would be amazing for fantasy. I'm just just saying, it would yeah. be, it'd be so dumb of them. <laughs> I'm just saying like you, you have a scenario where there's stuff going on with Joe Mixon and he might not be there next year, uh, depending on what they do. And uh, if they, if they think that they're one piece away and they're, I mean, they're obviously built well and they have a solid team. So if they're that one piece, that's the kind of team that typically goes after these elite running backs. Yeah. Aside from it's... like, aside from like Pete Carroll and you know, that, that whole thing. I, you know, that is true that you, you actually do make a good point, which is that these teams that are, have not won or are close to winning kind of convince themselves. That's the piece they need. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, I think the bills Look maybe have learned their lesson after getting Clyde nothing. Edwards-Alaire. Clyde Edwards, Alaire is another one, man, that pick. Do people realize that Clyde is like going to be the McKinnon if though, to start the year? Cause I don't think McKinnon is going to get retained. Stop, stop trying to t- trying to make him a thing. I have no, I have no choice. I have no choice. I got to I have uh, talking about Comet bags. I mean, the, the Clyde Edwards Alaire bags, they're so far underwater. I can't even dive to get them anymore. I'd get the spins coming back up. But yeah, I mean, the chiefs are, the chiefs are probably the most interesting team because they were, it's so fun. I mean, Mahomes won the MVP, led the league in touchdowns and they had three usable players for fantasy McKinnon, yeah. Mahomes and Kelsey. That's, and, a, that's, what, that's what Tom Brady for years, right? It was just literally Gronk and no one. I mean, we'd get these random running backs, random spikes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, same deal. I mean, what Tony, I guess theoretically you can sell yourself. This will be the last year people will sell themselves on Tony. Like if he plays like 400 snaps this year, whatever it'll be, it'll yeah. be done. What would you yeah. trade for Tony right now? Wait, if you were trying to acquire, what do you think is, oh, you, you don't need it? to, you don't need to, spend anything you you shouldn't spend anything more than a third to to get a guy like tony yeah no one's giving you if they already have tony no way they're sending you no way they're letting him go for that i i would i i i have tony in spots i would probably be totally i mean i would be okay with sending like a second or get getting a second for him but when you get to the third i'm just like nah, no i'm really gonna i'm really gonna send some trades if i can get if i can get if i can send like the 205 for tony in some leagues i'm gonna do it 
I would I would take the sec- I'm taking a second for Tony. What if he's Tyreek Hill? What if it just took, what if it just took a little bit? I mean, I could sound like a moron in a year, but I highly doubt that's going to happen. No, I mean, like uh, the smartest, the smartest Juju Smith-Schuster people were the people who just sold him immediately when he signed with the Chiefs. Right, right. Yeah, what a weird, what a weird. The Patriots, by the way, this is the the contract that makes the least sense. We can end on this. What the fuck is James Robinson doing as a member of the Patriots when he couldn't even get on the field for the Jets last year? I didn't see. I did. Did they did they publish his guaranteed money? I only saw the the overall deal. I I would assume it's like super incentive. It's got to be. It's got to be super incentive. I would hope because yeah, yeah, definitely strange. Two point two million dollars of it are guaranteed, so the rest of it is all incentives. I mean, it's still like Rashad Penny had had less guaranteed money than that, which seems kind of wild to me because he's a wildly better player than James Robinson is. I mean, like never forget last year when James Robinson was dope and in, in fantasy for the first three weeks and there was just victory laps everywhere, but he had like the worst success rate in football. Like he was playing like he was not doing well. And it, it's clearly all injury related based on that Achilles. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, the, the Patriots do wild things but at least at least this year they're not like they weren't like overly aggressive in free agency like they got juju for less guaranteed than than jacoby got and stuff and like you know it was a, a fair enough market value deal um but yeah i mean they that i'm just i'm prepared for them to to ruin uh a, a wide receiver or or just go after someone who no one wants in fantasy anyway and just let them let them just sit and burn they need a tight end too. I mean, they love their they love their two tight end stuff. There, there's a t- there's a tight end out there. Dal- Dalton Schultz to them just uh, absolutely ruining. I mean, the Chargers are going to sign Dalton Schultz. All right, JJ, tell the people why they should buy the prospect guide and uh, what they get with because you you get three versions of it, right? Well, yeah, you'll get well, you get two. You'll get the and if there's any edits, you'll get more. But uh, I have the the pre draft version right now that you can buy and you can get and you can read. And then literally the weekend of the draft, I am working all weekend to get it out by Monday because uh, I know people have rookie drafts that start right away. Uh, so you'll get the post-draft stuff. But I, I think people should get it and they'll dig it because uh, it's all analytical. Uh, it's all numbers-based. It's all logic-based. You know, I don't have this like black and white way of thinking about this stuff. It's very prob- probability-driven. Um, and it's it, it also, like I share my results. Like the model has results. That's a great part about modeling is that you can actually see how well certain players did uh, and, and, you know, certain scores did within the model. Um, and you can see, like I, I publish all of that in the guide. It's 135 pages long. You also get the year two model, which is uh, a look at how sophomore players in the NFL are going to be doing this year. So Isaiah Pacheco, if you should buy or sell him or Kenneth Walker. And uh, I just you know, traded for Isaiah Pacheco in a league. I don't I know think if I feel good about it. Well, so, so he's a guy in like the year in any sort of model, that's not going to look very good just because he came out and didn't look great. I mean, I was, I was a huge Isaiah Pacheco Stan, as a lot of people know, like, you know, last season, um, I have him in a ton of leagues as a result, but you know, I'm not selling him automatically. One of his, one of his close comps, uh, from year one to year two is Chris Carson, which I think makes a lot of sense. Like that kind of, I, yeah, yeah. That just like, I, like, I see it a high end RB two seasons and his range of outcomes potentially. Uh, but you know, obviously uh, there's, there's still downside to a guy like Pacheco and his profile, but like there, you, you know, I, I give takes uh, within that guide. Uh, I talk about the wide receiver class from last year and uh, you know, where those guys rank historically hint, hints, Chris Olave, Drake London and Garrett Wilson are incredibly good assets to have in your dynasty roster. 
Um, so yeah, you get all that in the guide. It's, it's a lot of, of words and pages. And I think that, that you'll dig it. Yep. I I'm, I'm with that. All right, everyone by the guide, I will put a link to it in the description of this podcast and I will be back tomorrow for ADP chasing with Pat Corain and Hayden Wink. See you then. BP added more than $70 billion to the U S economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.